church. It's a nice day. Someone wearing sunglasses this morning instead of a toboggan. So, what we're doing, we are, uh, you can be seated. We are continuing our sub-series today on foundations, where we are laying some groundwork of our core doctrinal beliefs. And our topic today is the authority of the Bible. I know now what Chris must have felt like when he spoke on our first topic in this series on who is God. It's a little overwhelming because there's just so much material to draw from. And it's almost impossible to cover all these topics in one sermon. But it's good to get refreshed you know, on these fundamental, fundamentals of our faith. But before we begin, <clears throat> I want to give just a brief introduction to the book we are going to be talking about today. When it comes to books that stick around, none can match the Bible. Its words have been treasured through the ages, committed to memory, printed in scrolls, bound in books, narrated on tape, and programmed in apps. When it comes to books that sell, the Bible stands apart. Year after year, its sales skyrocket past the hottest New York Times bestsellers. When it comes to books with influence, the Bible is equally unique. Its fingerprints manifest in the laws and constitutions of great nations, in key literary works and defining treatises. In endurance, influence, and sales, all other books pale in comparison. But to be such an influential book, why does it cause so much strife? I think it boils down to the issue of authority. The fundamental disagreement between believers and unbelievers is authority. It's a disagreement about who's right. All people's beliefs, convictions, and reasonings are controlled by one of two suppositions. The authority of human wisdom or the authority of divine revelation. And that's the dividing point. As Christians, our authority is God. And he has spoken to us through the Bible. That is what we believe. That is what we affirm. That is where our convictions come from. Everything we know and believe is found within this book. If you're a Christian, your entire worldview is based around this book. It's how we draw our conclusions. It provides us with all the answers to the the biggest questions in life. No other book in the world provides a compass for life as this book. And it's by God's grace that he has revealed himself to us. And not just in a form of intuition or ideas and concepts, but rather he has revealed himself to us in words. And we need to think for a moment the power of words. Words are incredible things. Words hold weight. Words bind us. Words can be written on a page and once they are written, they are fixed. Words will distinguish things, meaning this and not that. They judge us. They limit us. And the God of the Bible is a speaking God and he has spoken to us. And it is all grace because he was under no obligation to do so. Our access to all of the events and God's revelation is provided through his word. We have access to the revelation of God through Christ only by his word. And Christianity is the only belief system that offers such a complete account. The Christian doctrine of Scripture sets the claim of revelation apart from all others because God, for his good pleasure, has given his people a book. So if you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, 
Paul wants Timothy to know that all Scripture, not just parts of Scripture, but all of it in its entirety, is inspired by God. So in order to try and make this topic a little easier for us this morning, I want to try and answer three important questions. Why is the Bible our supreme authority as Christians? Or should I say as Protestant Christians? Number two, how do we know the Bible is God's word? How can we trust this book? Even so much that we would base our entire lives to it. And number three, how is the word applied in our lives today? So chances are, if you're here today, you're probably a Protestant. If you're a member of this church, you're definitely a Protestant. And the doctrine of Scripture is a no-brainer. This doctrine of Scripture alone is an accepted and normal view for us that we often don't think of its implications. So I want to try and give you some assurance and confidence to defend your belief on this doctrine so that when you are pressed by your peers or called out to defend your view of the Bible, you can have at least one leg to stand on. Because there is an assault on the inerrancy of Scripture today that tells us the Bible is both a mixture of truth and error. But that is a very low view of both Scripture and God. Because if God is the source of all truth, and His Word is truth, to say that He gave us the Bible full of errors is to cast doubt on His character. But at the same time, we also need to understand that inerrancy does not necessarily, be, does not necessarily mean that the Bible speaks with scientific precision. But what it does mean is that what it teaches is completely and entirely true. So let's begin by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and, from, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through, Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So why is the Bible our supreme authority? Because the Bible is the express revelation of God Almighty. It is not mere human words. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture is not a witness to the Word of God. Scripture does not simply contain the Word of God. Scripture needs nothing added to it to become the Word of God. No, Scripture is itself the Word of God. Breathed out by Him and belonging to Him, no less than our words breathed out by us belong to us. As the very breath of God, Scripture carries with it the full authority of God. It cannot be broken. What God gave the apostles and prophets to write down cannot be viewed as anything other than fully true in all that it teaches. And it is incapable of leading people astray. Because the author is God. It must follow the nature of God, who is holy and true. And because it is the word of God, Scripture cannot fail to accomplish all of God's will. For God is able to accomplish all of his will. Job 42.2, no purpose of his can be thwarted. Isaiah 55.10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We believe the Bible to be true because that is what it claims. 
It claims to be the word of God. It claims to be accurate. It claims to be true. And here are just a few references. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 119 says things like, Your word is pure. Your law is true. All your commandments are truth. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. For all of your commandments are righteous. Psalm 111.7, All his precepts are sure. Paul says the word of God is holy, righteous, and good. Proverbs 30, Every word of God is pure. Psalm 12, 6, the word of the Lord is pure, as tested in a furnace and refined seven times. Isaiah 65, 16, God is the God of truth. Jeremiah 10, 10, the Lord is the true God. John 3, 33, God is truthful. John 17, 3, the only true God. 1 John 5, 20, he is the true God. John 17, 7, your word is truth. Numbers, Titus, Hebrews, tell us God cannot lie. Matthew 5.18 says, I'll tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Hebrews 1 says, God has spoken in the past, but has now spoken through his son. 2 Peter 1.20 and 21, no scriptures of a private interpretation, but holy men of God moved by the Holy Spirit. So scripture makes these claims that all of God's word is true. Writers of the Old Testament refer to to their writings as the words of God over 3,800 times. New Testament writers quote the Old Testament as the word of God over 320 times. New Testament writers make reference to the Old Testament writings about 1,000 times. So the New Testament writers affirm the authority and the inspiration of the Old Testament. And the writers of the New Testament make clear that they are aware that they are writing the Holy Scriptures. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12 affirms that. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul makes two references and calls them both Scripture. One from Deuteronomy 25, 4, and the other from Luke 10, verse 7. He's saying Luke's writing is Scripture just as the Old Testament is Scripture. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter calls Paul's writing Scripture. And in Jude, verses 17 and 18, Jude refers to the scripture and then quotes Peter from his second letter. John also writes Revelation and repeatedly in chapters 2 and 3 says the Spirit has said this to the churches. So you can trace the reality that the New Testament writers knew that they were writing the word of God. And And because of this, we can see that there's very strong internal evidence of the authority of scripture. By looking at the testimony of Scripture itself, and also the testament of the, of the testimony of the New Testament writers, we can also look at the testimony of Jesus. What did Jesus think of the Scriptures? Which we will get more to that here shortly. So, why is the Bible our supreme authority? Because Scripture's unique character as being God-breathed means that every other authority is on a lower level by nature. By definition, God is the highest authority possible, Hebrews 6.13. So what he says is the final arbiter of truth. And if the only place we have his words is scripture, then scripture is the highest court of authority to which we can appeal. Nothing else is on the same level. So if you're still following me, you're probably telling yourself, of course the Bible is our authority because it's God's word. Every Christian should know that, and I agree. But how do we present the Bible's authority to those who don't believe? Or how do we make the distinction to our Catholic friends 
who hold the Pope and church tradition as equal authority to the Scriptures. Catholics also have a high view of Scripture. But the, but the sufficiency of Scripture is denied by Catholics as well as both Charismatics and Mormons because they take additional revelation as authority. But the two things I want to point out today regarding the difference between the, the Protestant and the Catholic view of Scripture is number one, the canon of Scripture, and number two, tradition. The canon of Scripture involves the number of books that are included and how they were established. The Roman Catholic Bible includes what you probably know of as the Apocrypha, or the Apocryphal books. The Protestants deny these books to be included in the canon. And we don't have time to go into that today. But the central, but the central issue of division is the relationship of Scripture versus the tradition of church. Catholics claim that the true God is contained in both the written documents and the unwritten traditions. And it was this doctrine that sparked the Protestant Reformation. Hence where we get the name Protestant. We protested against the Catholic Church based on this issue. Are there two sources of revelation? Scripture and tradition? Or is there only one source of revelation? Scripture. The Protestant view is sola scriptura. Scripture alone. But let's go a step further and ask, how do we set Paul's statement that all Scripture, speaking of these Scriptures, is inspired by God over and against the claims of the Quran or the Book of Mormon, since they also claim to be Scripture by God? Let's begin by saying we know that the self-identified claim of the Quran is that it was a revelation given through the prophet named Muhammad. A part of this miraculous dictation of the Quran is that Muhammad didn't have the ability to read or write. And yet he was the source through which this revelation was given. The entirety of the Quran came through this one prophet. The entire experience involved was his experience. We're talking about a 7th century revelation with a contextual history that we well understand. And a book that was basically produced by one man claiming to be the instrument through which it came. Now let's fast forward to the 19th century, where, Joseph, where there's a parallel. Joseph Smith writes the Book of Mormon, and he claims to have received this revelation through an angel. The revelation came in a variety of forms through a complex process that included golden plates, stones, and special glasses in which he could look in order to decipher such things and write what is known as the Book of Mormon. Again, all this has come through one man, one prophet, all at one time delivered as one book. Now, let's compare that to the Bible. We believe the author of these 66 books to be the Holy Spirit, written over a time span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors from all walks of life. In multiple contexts and situations, in three different languages, in multiple styles and variety of revelatory forms, testified and recorded and set forth in this book with perfect unity, presenting one message and one story. It's incredible. There's no other book like this. That alone should tell you that it's divinely inspired. The Bible is the only book made up of two distinct volumes. One predicts what will happen and the second records that it did happen. There's no other religious literature that does this in all the world. You understand the difference between a book that was handed down by one prophet himself 
versus the biblical doctrine of verbal revelation, which tells us that over time God spoke to his people so that these writings took form, as we are told, by, by the men of God who were moved by God to write these words. One of the testimonies of the unique state of Scripture as the inspired word of God is the coherence and consistency of its content. This incredible witness to the fact that Israel experienced the Old Testament as it was coming together. They knew these stories. They could check the experience. The claims they made in Scripture were verified in the experience of Israel as Israel was living out its status both in obedience and disobedience. And it's all being documented in real time and the people did not deny its claims. So you see how the Bible compares to some of the other mainstream religions? How much trust and confidence can we put in this book? How reliable is it? How can I be sure that this is something I could put my faith in and base my entire life around? And my response to that is where do we want to start? The Bible is the only book to provide such a comprehensive information to all matters of life with a logical connection. It provides all the answers to the tough questions in life from the beginnings. Where did we come from? What's wrong with the world? What happened? Can it be fixed? Is there any hope or solution to our problems? And what about the future? What can we expect to happen? What's going on? What's going to happen? As already mentioned, it's consistent. All the content found throughout the Bible, written over 1,500 years by so many different authors on different continents in three different languages, comes together without contradiction to portray one message. We can also look at archaeology. There are many archaeological findings that confirm the truthfulness of Scripture. History. History affirms the Bible. Just look at Christianity in general and church history. And candor. Who's going to write humiliating things about themselves? The failures we see of many of the heroes throughout Scripture. Scripture is also an indictment. What other book indicts us like the Bible? Calvin offered six proofs for the authenticity of Scripture. Number one, he said content. Nowhere else does one have access to this kind of content that tells us the truth about ourselves. And also the promise and fulfillment of Christ. Nowhere else provides such comprehensive account about itself and the revealer and his revelation. Number two, antiquity. This is an old book. And successive generations concluded that yes, this is the word of God. Including those who knew of the events firsthand. Miracles. There were eyewitness accounts to the events that occurred. And written during the time that people could have said it wasn't true. But that didn't happen. Prophecy. There's no other literature in all the world that has fulfilled prophecy like the Bible. Just look at Isaiah 53. It was written 700 years beforehand. And it matches up perfectly with the events found in the Gospels. Preservation. No other book has been through so much scrutiny and oppression like the Bible. And yet it's still here and it's not going anywhere. Martyrdom. There have been those throughout church history who have been willing to die for what was written in this book. And we also need to consider the New Testament manuscripts. As even more reason to believe in the trustworthiness of the Bible. 
No other form of ancient literature can even come close to the accuracy and reliability of the New Testament documents. We know the accuracy of the New Testament because we have nearly 6,000 handwritten Greek manuscripts from fragments in the 2nd century all the way to complete manuscripts all the way up to the time of the printing press. And we can compare all those manuscripts to where we can recreate the original to more than 99% accuracy. Along with the Greek manuscripts, we have nearly 24,000 copies, known copies of New Testament manuscripts. The second place of ancient literature is Homer's Iliad, with around 1,700 known copies. And get this, Beowulf comes to us by a whopping one manuscript. But another big difference here is how soon the manuscripts were written compared to the time of the event. The New Testament dominates all other ancient writings by being written within the same generation. And I'm talking like within 30 years of the events. Compare that again to the second place runner-up, which is Homer's Iliad. And it was written 400 years after the original. So when you hear someone say, we can't trust a 2,000-year-old book, and that the Bible is full of errors and unreliable, just ask them how they came to that conclusion. Because chances are they have no idea what they're talking about. They're just taking what they've heard from others and repeating it. Because we know with confidence what the original New Testament, se- New Testament text said. Even the famous skeptic, Bart Ehrman, a New Testament scholar at UNC, agrees with that. So the science of textual criticism suggests the Bible we have is a reliable and accurate translation of the original autographs. We can trust that our Bible today is the same Bible that God instructed the prophets and the apostles to write over 2,000 years ago. The question now for people boils down to whether or not it's true. Now here's an interesting point that most of us don't tend to think about. Christianity is not true because a series of documents we put under one book called the Bible says it's true. In fact, Christianity would be true even if the Bible never existed. Because Christianity did not originate with a book. It originated with an event. It originated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that there were thousands of Christians before a line of the New Testament was ever written? How can that be? It's because Christianity is based on an event, not a book. Now, soon after they wrote down books so we can know know about and orient our lives around it. But there would be no books written by Jews in the first century about Jesus rising from the dead unless he did rise from the dead. Why are Jews writing down something they didn't believe in initially that someone would be resurrected at the middle of time, not just at the end of time, and somebody who was a man could be God and claim to be God? They didn't think those two things were possible. They didn't think resurrections were possible. They didn't think a man could be God. That was blasphemy. Yet here they are saying all of this happened. And then they go and die for it. Why? Because it's true. Because it really happened. So the New Testament writers did not create the New Testament. The resurrection created the New Testament. 
You wouldn't have documents in the first century written by Jews unless about Jesus rising from the dead unless he did rise from the dead. You wouldn't have a New Testament unless these events occurred. But aren't you glad he provided for us a book? This is God's grace. People already find it hard to believe. But imagine how much harder it would be to believe this if we didn't have the Bible. Now, how is the Bible applied in our lives today? If you're a Christian, but you don't believe in the authority or the infallibility of the Bible, then how does Jesus exercise his lordship over you if you don't believe the Bible? The only way Christ exercises his authority over us, commanding us to live in a certain manner, is through Scripture. You lose the ability to be instructed by Christ if you don't believe his word. If you say, I follow the church's teachings or councils or general assemblies as authority, the problem with that is that those change over time. The scripture is fixed. It's not changing. It's not going anywhere. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So how is the Bible applied in our lives today? Let's look to Jesus. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the Bible. How did he apply the scriptures in his life and affirm its authority? We see in the Gospels that he hands the Old Old Testament scriptures right over to us, which again affirms the validity of the Old Testament. Jesus confirms his teachings in John chapters 13 through 16. He's telling his disciples they will be writing the scriptures. And then in John chapter 17, we see how the Father gives the Son the words, and the Son gives the apostles the words, and the apostles give the words to the church. And then even after his resurrection, he spent six more weeks teaching them this. Look also how Jesus responded to the devil in the wilderness when being tempted. When Jesus was tempted, he didn't say, I am the son of God, get out of my face. No, he submitted his whole life to what God has said in his word. And every word that comes from the mouth of God, he will submit in order that he may live for God's glory. Even when he is going to the cross, Jesus talks about how the scriptures must be fulfilled. That everything God has said must be obeyed and come to pass. He based his entire life around the ministry of the word of God. He emphasizes the scripture cannot be broken in John chapter 10 verse 35. And then once he had risen from the dead and declared to be the son of God with power, what does he do? He still points his disciples to the scriptures saying, these are the things my father has said. He's saying, I live by the word of God. Every single word of it is the food for my existence. And he bows to it in his humanity because it's his father's words. And the father is the living God. And Jesus is the word of God, John 1. And God's word is all about Jesus, Luke 24, verse 27. So you see, ultimately, the authority of scripture rests on the authority of Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy here in chapter 3 that the scriptures function in order to make us altogether competent to live for the glory of God, to be competent and equipped for every good work. John Calvin famously likened scriptures to spectacles. 
saying apart from scripture, we misread the natural world, human nature, and the creator. Scripture alone gives us the clear picture of who God is, who we are, and what God's plan for the world truly is. Without scripture, we stumble around in the dark. Scripture is necessary to see the world rightly. So to Christians, the Bible is more than a cultural artifact or a literary curiosity. To Christians, the Bible is divine revelation, God's message to the world. It unveils the mind of God. It reveals the will of God. It describes the work of God, and it calls the reader to faith in God. The Bible is not just the church's book. The Bible is God's book given to his church. So how do we respond when we're repressed on these matters? May we be like Luther in his famous speech at the Diet of Worms when he was asked to recant. He responded and said, Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant, for my conscience is held captive by the word of God. Luther is saying, If I recant, I'd be acting against what scripture is teaching. And it is scripture that binds my conscience. And it is this principle that we give scripture authority. The Bible is God's gift to us. It is God's grace that we have access to his word. It is one collection, two testaments, 66 books, written, assembled, and preserved so that you might know him and his salvation in Jesus Christ. So whether you've read the Bible through a hundred times or have never read a single word, I invite you to dive in and drink from the most important, most influential, most popular, and most life-changing book the world has ever known. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, thank you for providing us your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you for the power and authority of your word. Thank you for giving us enough reason and evidence to believe that we can base our lives on your book. And Father, may we not just be hearers of your word, but may we also be doers of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. Amen.